Hey, it's Pastor Rick Brown with you on our fireside chat tonight. Pastor Rob's taking a break, spending some time with Charlie, strategizing how to save America from the tyranny that's going on over in Phoenix this week. And I thought it would be helpful for us to spend some time tonight uh, with being prompted from a, a short little read. It's a book called, How Do You Kill 11 Million People? Now that sounds like a very alarming title, doesn't it? It's written by Andy Andrews. And when I was spending some time recently with Bob McEwen, he said, I should read this little book because it's so insightful. It was written a decade ago in 2011. And Andy Andrews does a history lesson how Adolf Hitler killed 11 million people. Now, he killed a lot more than that, uh, adding things together, and we'll get to that. But mainly we want to look at the 11 million people and how they allowed themselves to get into a place to basically go to the gas chambers in Germany. He starts the premise with that powerful verse about truth. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, John 8.32. Now, that's probably the most famous verse and declaration of truth in all the world, that the truth will make you free. It will set you free. And all of us learn that growing up, right? We're harboring some lie, and then we come forth, and we may have consequences, but afterwards, oh, we feel relieved. There's now a freedom that comes from that. But we've also had people to lie to us, and that's very painful. And so we become captive to that lie, and then when the truth comes, once again, we're set free. Now, if it is true that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, then the opposite is also true, that if you believe a lie, you will become a slave. Isn't that true? I mean, it just stands to reason. If you turn it on its head, you invert it, that's what takes place. Well, how do you kill 11 million people? You see, Adolf Hitler, specifically in institutional killings, this is not the war itself, this is just simply institutional killings. From 1933 to 1945, he killed 11,283,000. That's a lot of people. And he killed them by telling them a big lie. He told them a lie, he filled them with fear, and then he promised them safety. In his book, Mein Kampf, which is an autobiography, and many had read it, um, and, and just so that you know, if you get this little read from Andy Andrews, I'm just touching and highlighting some things and using it really to launch into a season in our own world where we're seeing some simple, big lies that are affecting things. And, and that's really what we want to get at the truth, because the truth will make us free. And we want to be a free people. You see, Adolf Hitler believed that you could just simply tell people, it's got to be a simple lie, it's got to be a big lie, and you've got to tell them over and over and over. The repetition of it finally drums it into their heads. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But you think, you know, I don't know if that's true. 
Well, here's a case in point in the last decade here in our own nation about a gal by the name of Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. She had a simple, big lie that she duped America with that she had revolutionized a simple blood test to discover all kinds of things. Look at this brief clip. To the stunning fall of a former CEO described as America's youngest self-made female billionaire, Elizabeth Holmes charged with massive fraud, her company Theranos, claiming to revolutionize blood testing, diagnosing hundreds of diseases with just a pinprick. But were those results accurate, and did they do all that they promised? Here's ABC's chief business correspondent, Rebecca Jarvis, tonight. Once celebrated as the next Steve Jobs, we've made it possible to run comprehensive laboratory tests from a tiny sample. Elizabeth Holmes, founder of healthcare startup Theranos, charged by the SEC with massive fraud. The 34-year-old and her top associate claimed they had created revolutionary technology, requiring just a few drops of blood to run hundreds of lab tests that could quickly detect diseases like leukemia and HIV. Now accused of running an elaborate years-long fraud in which they exaggerated or made false statements about the company's technology, business, and financial performance. This story tells us that you can still today in this modern world tell a simple, big lie, say it over and over, and you can deceive the most prominent people in the country. Check out the list of people that were taken in, some, some of them as investors or they're on the board of directors, Defense Secretary Jim Mattis, two former Secretaries of State, George Shultz and Henry Kissinger, as well as former Defense Secretary William Perry and ex-Senators Bill Frist and Sam Nunn also were on the star-studded board of directors. Now, that's incredible, isn't it? But there was a lie that continued to be told. Why am I even bringing all of this up? And, and, and nobody's killing 11 million people, right? But we're in this era of COVID-19, and we are hearing over and over and seeing the overreach of government, filling the populace with fear, and then promising them safety if they do these certain things, if they uh, will social distance, and if they'll wear masks, and if they will... Uh, do this and that now with the vaccine. Now, as we look at some of these things, I think it is appropriate to bring these things up. In light, even this week, as the restrictions in Los Angeles County, check this out, Los Angeles County restaurants finally saw loosened coronavirus restrictions on Friday as establishments were allowed to reopen for outdoor dining only. But check this out. I mean, if it's not, wasn't so ludicrous, it would, it would be truly laughable. Now, I guess it is laughable, and I can't believe it's happening. I'm, not, I'm confused in my own emotions. But officials implemented new restrictions, including a ban on televisions. According to the health order issued by the county, televisions or other screens that broadcast programming must remain off. The rule comes a week ahead of the Super Bowl on February 7th. L.A. County Health Director Barbara Ferrer, Ferrer said Wednesday she's worried that the giant sporting event, which usually drives crowds to bars and restaurants for celebrations, watch parties, will become a super spreader event. It will be tragic if the Super Bowl becomes the super spreader of coronavirus, Ferrer said, according to KT. 
LA5, she added that residents should avoid large gatherings, refrain from throwing Super Bowl parties to prevent a situation where the virus can further spread. First, stressed the need for residents to continue to abide by social distancing, mask recommendations, otherwise will be in the horrible position of needing to once again backtrack. Dining was suspended in the county for nearly two months as California grappled, here's the, here's the alarming, frightening statement, with record-shattering numbers of positive cases and alarming rates of hospitalization. Now, this is what's going on in LA County. We're up here in Ventura County. I don't know what's going on in your county. Maybe you're in a different county. But we do not deny that coronavirus is a very dangerous disease for those who are 65 and older and have underlying health issues. We have to acknowledge this every single time because there are people that charge us that we are uh, COVID deniers. It's not true. My brother and sister-in-law recently got over COVID. They uh, lost their uh, taste and their sense of smell. My father had COVID. 82 years of age, last August, I was there. I quarantined with him for three weeks. We realize that these things are real. So having said that though, this is the thing that is really startling. With all of these tests, we have never in any flu season, never in a cold season, have we taken all of these tests that healthy people take tests to see if they have a sickness that is so lethal to a healthy person that they have to take a test to even know if they have it or not. Now, there's something about that that seems ridiculous. And those numbers then are frightening. Now, granted, if hospitals at each flu season in the winter, hospitals get stacked and full because of the flu, because of pneumonia, because of these things, and every single loss of life is tragic. I have a friend that recently succumbed. He had health issues and he passed away from COVID. I get it, I understand, but this is the thing. How do we even know the truth? Because statistics are really not being made available to us here in the state of California. How do we know how effective a mask is, right? We, we now have these masks, so I, I, got, I got one mask. And now, Fauci is telling me, I, I, I actually, I need two masks. Oh, then he changed his mind and uh, it doesn't, there's no data. Check out these three clips. One back in March where Fauci says, we don't even need masks unless you actually have coronavirus yourself so you don't spread it. Then it follows one that just took place about a week ago on January 25th that he said, oh, double masks are helpful. In one clip, we don't need a mask. The other one, double mask. And then he followed up on the 31st, just this weekend, with there's no data supporting a double mask. So, so where's the truth? Is it some kind of lucky charm to put a face mask? Or if we're really terrified, we put two? Do we wear a full-blown hazmat suit for most of us that it's gonna be like a cold or a flu? Many people will be asymptomatic, not even know they have COVID. Look at these clips. There's a lot of confusion among people and misinformation surrounding face masks. Can you discuss that? The masks are important for someone who's infected to prevent them from infecting someone else. Now, when you see people and look at the films and 
China and South Korea, whatever, everybody's wearing a mask. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You're sure of it, because people are listening really no, closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask, and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying uh, 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 inside uh, uh, there? Of course, and... of course. But when you think masks, you should think of healthcare providers needing them and people who are ill. The people who, when you look at the films of foreign countries and you see 85% of the people wearing masks, that's fine. That's fine. I'm not against it. If you want to do it, that's fine. But it can lead to a shortage it, of masks. Exactly. Which that's the point. It could see. lead to a shortage of masks for the people who really need it. This is a physical covering to prevent uh, uh, droplets and virus to get in. So if you have a physical covering with one layer, you put another layer on, it just makes common sense that it likely would be more effective. And that's the reason why you see people either double masking or doing a version of an N95. There are many people who feel, you know, if you really want to have an extra little uh, bit of protection, maybe I should put two masks on. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's no data that indicates that that is going to make a difference. No data that two masks are going to help me out. Originally, he said, I don't need to wear a mask unless I'm sick or I'm a healthcare provider. When you see a country where 85% of the people are walking around with masks, and I would say that looks like America today, and all of these things, different signals, and yet it seems that the confusion and the fear, the absolute fear, and I don't know if you've had this experience, you're walking down the street or the sidewalk, and, and I'm rarely wearing a mask and I, unless I am forced to by going into a store or being on an airplane. And I'm walking down the sidewalk and somebody that has a mask or two or three people that have a mask are approaching me on that sidewalk where you might smile and nod your head in greeting to them they almost hurt themselves, injure themselves by jumping to the side and getting out of the way as if you're this plague moving down the street. It's unbelievable. I mean, it really is what's going on. And in the midst of all of this um, really hysteria, except for those people that really need to protect themselves, once again, over 65, underlying health issues, those, those situations, those are legitimate, but for other people that are just healthy citizens, I love what Ron DeSantis, DeSantis said. He's doing a great job in Florida. And right the week before Thanksgiving, uh, there was an article that showed state by state, all the different states, uh, New York and California, their stringent lockdowns. And Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, said this. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said Wednesday that the state will not be shutting down again amid surging coronavirus cases. The governor will not lock down and hurt families who can't afford to shelter in place for six weeks, DeSantis' office told CBS 12 News in a statement, especially not for a virus that has a 99.8% survival rate. If there is a 99.8 survival rate, 
Why are we shutting down the country? Why are we shutting down cities, restaurants, all of these different things, if this is the case? Now, Ron DeSantis is the governor of one of the largest populated states in America. There are 22 million people in the state of Florida. He has access to the most scientific, cutting-edge medical information for the people that are surrounding him to make these decisions. And so he's a smart governor. He is, uh, the people know what's going on in the community. And then he allows the citizens, he trusts the citizens to do the right things. And even with that, having been over in Florida recently, there's places that their companies are more stringent and locked down, even though he's not enforcing it, there are other people that are choosing to do that. You see, the whole process over the last year has created a dehumanization of our nation. Have you felt it? Put a mask over your face, you go into a store, they tell you stand here. They put little patches every six feet so you know exactly where to stand. So I put on my mask because the sign on the store door says I can't come in there, it's required. I put on my mask, I go stand where I'm supposed to stand. I do what I'm supposed to do. It's not only dehumanizing, but it's also obedience training because the government is forcing us to do these things and you must be obedient. The Super Bowl's coming. Don't you dare turn on your TV at the restaurant or at the bar where people are gathering for a Super Bowl party. And you, you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't gather even at homes for Super Bowl parties. Now, there's no logic when it comes to, well, what about immunity? What about people being exposed to things? That's how our immune system works. We get germs. We are, uh, our body's learning how to fight things all the time. What will be the fallout uh, over the next five years for people that sanitize so much that their fingers, the skin is cracking from their hands being dry and keeping masks on their face? And even if that does help when you're touching your face, adjusting things, and, and even as Fauci said, in all of this, there's a great violation of civil liberties that is going on. Businesses that are being shuttered, schools that are being closed down, people going bankrupt, people psychologically just losing their mind because of this weird twilight zone that we live in. Don't you feel like you just... My wife and I were joking the other day. I said, the only thing missing from this scene, we were in a place with a lot of people in masks everywhere, is zombies coming out of a basement somewhere. You feel like you're in some kind of uh, sci-fi movie. But there's a violation of our civil liberties, an overreach of government because of time of emergency, which is usually a two-week to 30-day period of time, but now that's stretching to a year, and now there's all of these executive orders that are being... They're not legislated, they're executive orders. Even as I quoted last night in our fireside chat, you can check it out. But Justice Alito, uh, he was speaking and he said that COVID-19 has become a stress test for the U.S. Constitution with all of the civil liberties that are being violated through executive orders. Here is a 15-year sitting Supreme Court Justice declaring, and as he has declared on all of his um, judgments that have been written, or his opinions, excuse me, he's not saying anything new. I was in Starbucks this week, and a guy came in to order a coffee, and his mask slid down so his nose was exposed. 
there was a guy there that became very aggressive and combative. He didn't work there. He had no authority there, but he took this guy to task. And this guy asked him to show him his uh, federal badge, his mask, if he's a mask officer. And they started bickering. These guys are like, you know, 60, in their 60s. And, uh, and, and there was just this aggression that was going on. And my wife and I just observed the whole thing. So what we need to do is prayerfully consider electing officials that would actually stand for liberty, stand for the freedom of its citizens, and communicate the truth of what is going on in any time of pandemic, any kind of state of emergency, and to have those state of emergencies very short. And anybody that wants to extend them forever, as Governor Newsom has, as Governor Cuomo has, as some of these states have been so aggressive. Because you see, the thing is, we're really, in this fireside chat, Pastor Rob, myself, we're really um, wanting to promote our dual citizenship. We're citizens of heaven through our faith in Jesus Christ, but we're also citizens of the United States. And we have this incredible document, the U.S. Constitution, that gives us this liberty. Now, if we don't get involved in the process, if we don't pray, and if we don't select the right people and vote them into office and do all we can to mobilize into our communities and, and, and get away from our passivity and stepping back and not being involved, I love what Plato says. Look at this quote from Plato. He says, the punishment which the wise suffer who refuse to take part in the government is to live under the government of worse men. Isn't that true? So often, I mean, you rarely have somebody with the kind of success in business like a Donald Trump that he doesn't even need the 400000 a year as the president. He does it voluntarily because he's a billionaire. He's successful in all of these entrepreneurial investments and uh, hotels and uh, real estate and all those things. But so often what we get in politicians are people that are not good leaders and they're just hungry for power and they want to be in a position. So it's our job as citizens to pray, to get involved, to vote, to deal with those things. Well, how's that all come back around to killing 11 million people like Adolf Hitler? Well, Adolf Hitler simply told a big lie over and over. And he told, it, he told whatever group of people he was talking to, he would tell them what they wanted to hear. When he talked to businessmen, he uh, talked to them about their interests, and he was going to do that. And when he talked to blue-collar guys, he lied to them. When he talked to farmers, he lied to them. He lied in a big way to anybody just telling them what was up. Now, in this book, this brief book, it starts with Jewish neighborhoods where the officials, uh, Eichmann, who was called the master, really, the, he had a mandate from the final solution that Hitler had given him, and that was the extermination of the Jews. He put a barbed wire fence around these neighborhoods and to confine them and then to begin to promise them a hope for a, a better day. You see, the fear he gave the, the Jews, and this is the, the fear he filled them with, is the Russians are coming. The Russians are coming, and we want to protect you from the Russians. Therefore, we've got to keep you all together. And we're keeping you here for your own safety. And not only are we keeping you here for your own safety, but pretty soon we have jobs. We're going to 
put you on trains and you're going to go have a wonderful life and wonderful trains and, and, and these trains are going to take you to that place. And they would bribe the guards for the best situation. And, and so the Jews begin to think to themselves, well, they wouldn't be taking bribes so that we could have the best home or the best job where we're going if they planned on killing us. Well, you see, they were just telling them a big lie and they told it over and over and over again. And so then Eichmann would show up. And when Eichmann showed up to the neighborhood, which we uh, became known as the ghettos, he's like, okay, the Russians are almost here. We're sorry that it's such a rush, but where you're going is going to be so much better. We just have to put you on these cattle cars. And so fathers, and he exhorted the fathers, fathers, and there might be two soldiers there with guns, only two soldiers, 100 men. You fathers, get your families and put them, get on these boxcars. Now, it's going to be a little crowded because they put 100 humans in a boxcar where eight cows would fit. And so they packed them in, and, and the fathers loaded up their wives. The fathers loaded up their children because they had heard the big lie over and over, and it was such a whopper, nobody could have fathomed what was waiting for them. And as soon as they got them on the, the boxcars, they put the padlock on there. They were locked in. And most of the train, the, the rails, they, they stopped when they were inside the concentration camp. So there was no way to get off. In this book, he talks about, there's an eyewitness account of a Christian who was um, involved with a church. And the church was right on the, the railroad tracks, right next to it. So they knew what time the trains would go by. They, they had heard what was happening, what the, what the Germans were doing with these Jewish people. And they could hear the people when the trains started coming, and the people would be screaming from the train for help because they were padlocked in. And the church would sing louder so that they didn't hear the Jews as they were going to the gas chambers. You see, you just have to tell a really big lie it's a simple lie. Oh, we're protecting you, the fear of death, from the Russians. We're promising you a better day. Oh, you're going to have a good life over here in the final solution to go to concentration camps and to go to gas chambers. Isn't it something that two soldiers could load up fathers with their wives and their children to go to their death? Only two. You see, if a, if a gunman went into a a movie theater, and there's 300 people in the movie theater, and he starts shooting, there's no way he's going to be able to shoot all those people because there are going to be people that run, there are going to be people that hide, and there are going to be people that fight. And so that, that he's not going to get away with that. I mean, somehow, some way, it, it's going to um, end badly for him. But when you train people, when you dehumanize people, when you train people, you put your mask on, you stand here, you stay at home, you may not have a Super Bowl party, don't you dare turn on your TV at that restaurant. What happens is a training that is redundant, it is all the time, now we're at a year, and people that are uh, pushed back on our real cry for our civil liberties, Say, this is going to be over soon. Why are you making a big deal of it? Is it going to be over soon? If they're talking this last week about now double mass, they're talking about various strains. Yeah, the various strains that are going to come out, 
Every year there's a flu season and it's a various strain of a coronavirus. Every year. Every year. And every year people succumb and they can get a flu shot. They succumb to pneumonia and various things because their health's in a bad spot. And that's, that's tragic, especially when it's our loved ones. But when you control and you dominate and beat into the mind a simple big lie over and over a thousand times a day and you fill people with fear, you fill them with fear. Because the bottom line is that people are afraid of death. And they're afraid of death. And if you promise them safety, it's a strong motivator. I thought about that even in our Christian life. And I wondered, why are the people of faith, when I show up on Sunday morning, you know, for people, it's the only semblance of normalcy that they have. When they come to church and there's no mask and we're worshiping the Lord and we're singing songs of the Lord, we're teaching the Word, we're shaking hands, we're giving people a hug. Yes, there's, there's going to be herd immunity. Yes, there's going to be things that happen. But the psychological, emotional well-being of those people is superior to those who are isolated. But why is it that Christians seem to be less afraid? Because you see, the bottom line is, through our faith in Jesus, we're not terrified of death anymore. And let me just ask you the question. Are you afraid to die? You see, the writer of Hebrews says of Jesus that Jesus, he himself, likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Do you know your whole life before you come to Jesus you can be gripped with fear, the fear of death. Even people filled with bravado that I've met over the years, big tough guys, like, I'm not afraid to die. When you're by their bedside and it's the last hours of their life and you see the terror in their eyes. I've been along as a pastor for 31 years, the bedside of many, many people who are getting ready to pass away. As a matter of fact, when I was 18, I woke up in the morning after partying all night and not remembering how I got home. And when I looked out my window and I saw my pickup there, I realized I had driven home. And the thought went through my mind. I wasn't going to church. I wasn't, you know, growing up in a Christian family. I wasn't really exposed to that many Christians. And I looked out there and I realized if I can't remember, I blacked out from drinking and doing so much drugs and stuff. Whatever happened the night before, I could not remember a thing. I thought, what if I wrap my truck around a telephone pole. Where would I go? Boom. I'm dead. I'm 18. And the thought came smashing home to my heart. You'd go to hell, right? You're not right with God. And I didn't even know what that meant. And I didn't know anything about really heaven or hell. But that was the thought is I was terrified at 18 about death. But when I came to Christ, you see, Jesus conquered death for us so that now we don't have to be afraid of death. Why are Christians so fearless in this realm? Because those who have a great assurance of their faith are not afraid to die. Even as my own parents have told me, hey, I'm ready to see the Lord. I'm ready to be with the Lord. Right now my mom's battling stage four liver cancer. And she's battling that and she wants to be healed. She loves life. My mom loves life. But she said, if 
But I really have two good options. Either I get healed and I'm better, or I'm going to go home and be with the Lord. See, those are great options. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. You see, the first is, is Jesus has conquered death and his resurrection power so that when we die, we don't have to be afraid of death because he conquered it. And now we see that love also conquers fear because I know God loves me and I'm not afraid of the torment of judgment because Jesus has already paid the price for my sins on that brutal cross. I'm not going to have to give an account for my sins. Jesus paid for that price of my sins. Now, there's going to be rewards and loss of rewards, which is based on the good and the bad that I've done as a Christian, but that's either gaining reward or losing reward. It has nothing to do with salvation. So my soul is secure in Him. Has God's love, His perfect love, cast out fear? Are you still dominated by fear? 1 John 5, 12 through 13 tells us that you can know that you have eternal life. Did you know that? People tell me all the time, you can't know. That's so arrogant of you to say that you know you're going to heaven because nobody can know that. Oh, yes, we can. If God's word promises that to us, we can know. Look at this. He who has the Son has life. If you have Jesus in your heart, you have life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Hey, man, if Jesus is not your Lord, you don't have eternal life. So don't deceive yourself. Verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, get this, you believe in Jesus, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Do you see that John the Apostle tells us we can know we have eternal life? Man, you don't have to be afraid of COVID or the car wreck or the cancer because I promise you, I mean... Can you not, you and I not agree the statistics on death are quite impressive, right? 10 for 10, 1 for 1, 100 for 100, 1,000 for 1,000. Are you getting out of this deal alive? No, unless the rapture happens and we're all praying for that. Lord Jesus, come and take us home. But let me just encourage you. There are things that are coming in the future for our nation that are going to not only put a stress test on the U.S. Constitution, but they're going to put a stress test on your faith to see if it's real and it's genuine. And the beautiful thing about the gospel and Christianity, even though we're fighting for liberty in the sense of prayer and getting people in a peaceful way into the right office that have good character so that they can bring liberty to the citizens. Having said that, do you know that Christians have flourished in under every single kind of regime for 2,000 years? Communism, socialism, whatever it is, it it. It excels. Why? Because our life in Christ is a supernatural life that produces incredible confidence, spiritually speaking. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Isn't that something? As soon as this body dies. You see, this is just an earth suit. The real you is not hardware. This body is hardware. The real you is software, meaning your soul, your spirit, is immediately going to be in the presence of the Lord. There's there's no limbo. You're immediate. This is what that passage of Scripture says, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I often joke that if, (laughs) if I die suddenly of a heart attack and then somebody comes and performs CPR and they revive me, the first thing I'm going to do is just punch them right in the mouth because I'm ready to go to heaven. Think about it. 
I'm going to go to a perfect place. There's no more sin. There's no more temptation. There's no more sorrow. There's no more heartache. There's no more death. There's no more funerals. You're in paradise and the greatest experience that your mind cannot even fathom. That's why if people threaten Christians with death, you mean you're going to threaten me with heaven? It's, it seems somewhat comical. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not playing in the street and trying to die, and I'm not excited about the process in which I'm going to die. Is it going to be part by part, piece by piece, long and drawn out? I mean, granted, all those things are not very um, comforting, but the reality is we win. We win. You see, the way, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. Jesus is the way that you need to go. He is the truth. He is the reality. And he is the life, the eternal life, the abundant life that you and I need to have a sense of fulfillment of love, joy, and peace. How do you get in that place? What's the process look like for a person? Maybe you're watching this fireside chat. You just tuned in the first time. You're, you're just like clicking around and you saw some title and you just wanted to jump on and you have no point of reference. Let me tell you what happens in a person's soul when they believe in Jesus. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, and also verse 13 tell us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now he explains the process. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't this a beautiful thing? When you realize Jesus has died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose from the dead, and you say, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and you believe in him, then the Bible declares that you're righteous. And then out of your mouth, you say, you know what? Jesus is the Lord of my life now. And so you go on record to confess that. And the beautiful thing is that everybody's invited. It says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old or if you've been really bad or you're in prison or you've been a nice little old lady you know, uh, these last years and and you wouldn't hurt a fly. It doesn't matter. Everybody, for we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. All of us come the same way because the only thing, the only thing that pleases God, it's impossible to please God, it says, without faith. Check this out, Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You see, it's impossible to please God without simply trusting Him and believing in Him and believing that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Have you been diligently seeking Him? It's time. I want you to know that as I see these things on the horizon, and I'm not saying it in any kind of prophetic way, I just simply think that the next season of life in America is going to look a lot like this last year. That the, what, what we've been through for the last 12 months, that's what it's going to look a lot like with government overreach, with the, the, the burdens of things. And one of the incredible things is, is that there's even a bigger global thing that is on the horizon. It's called the Great Reset. And if you haven't checked it out, that's what we're going to look at tomorrow. Is the Great Reset some weird conspiracy theory? Or is it a real thing with real traction 
and a real game plan to make a one world global government, a one world um, economy. And we'll be looking at that tomorrow. I want to send you out with a blessing. Numbers 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You know what? When Jesus is your Savior, you guys, you got nothing to worry about. It's all good. No matter what comes in our nation, Jesus is the hope. He's our hope. And we can have joy and peace in the midst of what's going on. None of the things I'm sharing with you are meant to bring fear because the promises of God bring peace to our hearts and comfort to our souls that God is going to be in our corner through all of this. So if God's for you, who can be against you? God bless you. See ya.